welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Are you ready for something this morning? Or have you just come for just boring church? Have you just come for another, just like, you know, tick the box on my religious duties? You've come to the wrong place, sorry. I keep getting asked why I'm wearing a shirt as well. Um, Because I'm normally just like in a t-shirt or something like that. Um, And I I said it so the the older people actually listen to me. (laughs) Then I realise I am one of those older people. So it's all good. It's all good. We've been kind of talking about vision, but in our own empower type of way. um, In that... Um, so many concepts that are biblical have been mingled with worldly thinking. And so vision, I believe at times, obviously there's nothing wrong with vision, but I believe vision at times has been hijacked by worldly thinking. And as a result, the, the, the compass has just been slightly just off. And so we end up in a completely different place many years later because we've incorporated secular thinking rather than grounding ourselves in what God's Word says about different things. As I said, vision is powerful, vision is vital, but we must must make sure that we continue to orientate ourselves around what God's Word says about certain things. You know, I want to keep reiterating, it's kind of like, I don't want you to hear this as a criticism of um, other churches or movements or whatever that have vision Sundays and do all those sorts of things. Not at all. I think that's powerful. It's all good if that's what the Holy Spirit's doing in that place. Who am I to kind of judge? I'm not, I'm, it is what it is. It's okay. My point is not undoing that. My point is asking us to grapple with the idea of what our vision actually is. Because I believe that the greatest vision that God wants to give us is not about a destination or a place. The greatest vision that God wants to give us is the one where we see the person of Jesus more clearly. where it's not about what we and where we are going as a community, but it's really about who we are looking at. And Jesus is, Jesus is, He's a wild man. (laughs) Because when you look at Him, He takes you on these journeys that your, your vision and my vision could have never imagined. A couple of years ago, we kind of said like our theme is to look at His face and to hold His hand. The vision of God. 
And so I've been saying it for the last few weeks, but instead of setting a New Year's resolution, let's ask the Holy Spirit for a New Year's revelation. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and visit us in such a way that He would show us Jesus. So I wanna call this today, we're gonna read the whole book of Romans chapter, not the whole book of Romans, we're gonna read the whole of Romans 4. Some of you would like that, I know, you're tempting me. But we're gonna read the whole book of, whole chapter of Romans 4. It's gonna be on the screens for there, but I wanna quickly just lay a, um, a brief foundation before we get there. You can wrap that up, bro. Otherwise, I'm just gonna, I'll call you up in a minute. Thanks, mate. So as we're talking about vision, when, when you see that word vision, I want you to think revelation. And when you think about revelation, I want you to think about what is, what is the primary thing that God is wanting to reveal to us. He's wanting to reveal to us Jesus. This God-man, He's wanting to reveal to us Jesus, the, the person, the, third, the, the second person of the Godhead, He's wanting to reveal to us. And so rev, the word revelation is simply a nice fancy spiritual word, which simply means to uncover or to unveil. And so when revelation comes to us, or when we receive revelation, number one, it's a spiritual thing that happens, right? So it happens when our spirits are engaged, not our minds only. It's when our, the, all of our faculties are engaged in who and what the Holy Spirit is doing and what He's trying to show us. But it's not like that thing is not there. That thing is there. It's just been covered up for us. It's not been hidden from us because God is a, a mean God and like, no, I'm gonna get. It's hidden from us because if we were to receive the fullness of who he was in one go, if we were to receive, um, if we were to receive the fullness of, of who he is and what he has for us, I don't think we'd be able to cope, to be perfectly honest. And we see this in scripture. I was reading John this week. And we see this in Scripture where even Thomas, Jesus has been resurrected and he's in his resurrected body, right? And even the, the disciples, not just Thomas, but the disciples when Jesus first rocks up, they can't recognise that it's him. Why? Because they're uh, in touch with their humanity, their flesh, their sinful nature, and at times, not just that, but a whole lot of other reasons I don't have time to get into this morning, but the, it, it, um, they're not in a place of spiritual maturity to be able to see that it is the person of Jesus in his resurrected body. And so it's hidden from them. But God's heart is that he would reveal it to friends. Then the disciples are out there fishing once Jesus has been resurrected, but has not ascended to heaven. And the disciples are out there fishing and they see Jesus not knowing it's Jesus because they're going in and out of being able to recognise that it's Him. Isn't that like our Christianity? Is this God? Isn't this God? I'm unsure. And this is the disciples, they walked with Him. And John, who was really close with Jesus, he says that he, he would lie on the chest of Jesus. That's how intimately connected they were. And they're out there fishing in the boat and he looks to the shore and sees Jesus having a barbecue of fish. Shout out all the pescatarians. 
and he's out there having, having a fish, probably, you know, a few different ways, I'm not sure. Um, and he's enjoying himself. And John sees from a distance and says, makes a declaration that this is the Lord. While Peter catches that revelation off John, strips off his tunic down to his budgie smugglers. <laughs> Come on, just keeping it real. And, and he dives in and he swims to Jesus because whenever you know that Jesus is there, there's a desperation to get to him. There's a desperation to get to him. And so vision and revelation of who he is, is progressive. It doesn't all just happen at once. The Bible says in, Rev, uh, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, where there's no vision, people perish. Where there's no vision, people perish. The, the NIV says, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. Or another translation says that they become undisciplined. Where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. And so most of the time when we see this word vision, or when we see this word vision, I wanna invite you to see the word revelation. Where there's no revelation, the people perish. Where there's no revelation, people become undisciplined. Where there's no, where there's no revelation, people really take life into their own hands. And when you look at this word perish, or uh, other translations put that one word perish into cast off restraint or become undisciplined, it literally means this in the, in, the, uh, in the original language. It means to take the lead. It means to take control of. It means lawless, unrestrained, disorder or wild. So where there's no vision, where there's no revelation of Jesus, this is what the text trying to tell us. Where there is no revelation of Jesus, people take their life into their own hands. And when they do that, it leads to death. Where there is no revelation of Jesus, this is why religion is one of your greatest enemies as a Christian. Because you can live in the realm of religion and not revelation and therefore be perishing while you're attending Sunday church. I'm preaching good today. You know what I'm saying? Like you can be in that zone of attendance and all those religious things. You can be praying, you can be reading, you can be doing all those things, but if it's not done out of the revelation of Jesus is out of the being, if it's just doing, friend, you are gonna injure yourself spiritually. You're gonna hurt yourself and those around you because you're in this place of religion. And when you don't have vision or revelation of Him, you end up just slowly dying. The wages of sin are death. And so I believe it's saying, when you don't see the way God sees your future, you take the lead and that leads to death. Think about it for a moment. You and I take the lead when we don't have a revelation of Jesus. You know, I often counsel people and talk with people and people invite me into different conversations around, around what um, their future looks like. And I really think we've super spiritualized the voice of God at times. I really believe that at times we, as Pentecostal Christians, um, we've made it very hard for the Lord to talk. 
Because sometimes, um, for example, when Jesus was baptised in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that He was led. We spoke about this last week. He was led into the wilderness. He was led. A divine presence led Him. Now, we don't have too much detail in that specific passage of Scripture of how He spoke. We do know that God speaks in a whole lot of different ways, in dreams, in audibly, in impressions, a whole lot of different ways. And our heart is always to position ourselves to hear that voice. But often that voice, that significant life-changing, pack your bags and do this voice comes when we're yielded to that divine presence. I've discovered that we confuse a whole lot of things because we are desperate for an outcome or for a word about something. And we're so over-concerned about that, God speaking about that one thing that we lose our connection with that divine presence, with the Holy Spirit. And we take life into our own hands at times. What I'm saying is, what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that we should not be asking God to speak. We should. But what I'm saying is that as we mature, we should have a constant openness and hunger and appetite for being led by Holy Spirit. That way He's leading us into everything and then that way we are positioned to just receive the Word of the Lord. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. So vision revelation comes from Holy Spirit. Let me just do a bit of reading so we can get to the points today. In fact, Holy Spirit's primary function is to reveal or uncover Jesus. The vision you wanna seek is Jesus. You should write that one down. That's a good point. It's simple, but important. The vision you wanna seek is Jesus. It is Him. So when we pray for vision, our focus should not be a destination. It should not be a place. Our focus when it pertains to vision should be a person. The person in his fullness, Jesus. Jesus is God's vision to us. What is it a vision of? It's a vision of how we should live our lives. It's a vision of how we should respond to our enemies. It's a vision of perfection. It's a vision of wholeness. It's a vision of freedom. It's a vision of heaven on earth. It's a vision of power and might. It's a vision of absolute righteousness. It's a vision of sinlessness. What is God's vision to us in the person of Jesus? It's a vision of union with the Father. It's a vision of access to the presence of God. This is the vision of Jesus and our vision or revelation of Jesus, that thing that we look at when we look at Him is what we end up maturing into. Second Corinthians chapter 3, 18, I love this scripture. It says, but we, with all, with un, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. So the Bible's saying there are no limitations now. The veil of the law which restricted us has been removed. Remember the veil was torn when Jesus died? The veil was torn. So there was access, not just for a select few priests, but now there is access for all of us under grace. The veil, but we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. What's the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord is Jesus. 
the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image. Did you hear that? What you look at is what you are being transformed into. And so if you are constantly looking at a vision of trying to achieve something, the truth is, is that you and I, we transform into the image that we look at. This is why it's so important that you've got to have really sound, good theology around who the person of Jesus is. Not around what church does and styles and this and that. Around Him. Around who Jesus is. Because who Jesus is, is the thing, is our revelation of who He is and therefore it's the thing that we're being transformed into. The last thing that I want to say about that is that information alone does not produce revelation. There's a lot of smart people out there, but their intellect does not determine their revelation. Revelation comes, revelation comes through intimacy with the Spirit more than it does information. Now, the Holy Spirit comes and uses information uses a whole lot of different things to reveal who Jesus is. So let's talk a little bit about walking out the vision. That's what I've entitled today, walking out the vision. You ready to read? Romans chapter four. One day I wanna do what they do in like some of the American churches, like T.D. Jakes does, I think. And they just get the whole church to read it at the same time. But then I thought about it, thought that could get crazy. Paul is, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's trying to convince them that the Gentiles have been accepted, that they're loved, that they are the righteousness of God, that it is not by works, but it is by grace. And, um, and so uh, these first couple of chapters are really just setting up the scene um, for his main argument and for his main points. And so... We're going to focus in a moment from verses 16 to kind of 22, but I want to just put it in context this morning. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, has found what has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man, excuse me, to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Did you hear that? God imputes righteousness apart from works. Really powerful, really important message Paul is trying to get across here. Blessed are those who are, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Isn't that wonderful? That is just so, that preaches all by itself. It really does. That your sins, not because of your works, 
have been cancelled. They're gone. They're not gonna be imputed to you anymore. When you stand before God, you are not imputed judgment because of sin. You are imputed righteousness because of Jesus. This is the gospel. So many of us in the Western church are so sin focused. But God doesn't want us to stop at sin. In fact, go to John 16 really quickly. Just go to John 16. We'll be back in Romans 4. John 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Genesis, John. John 16. Listen to this. From, let's, let's read from verse number seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, John 16, seven. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the helper, so the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now listen to this, this is important. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about the fact that so many of us, the reason why you're not free from sin is because you keep focusing on trying to be free from sin. Now, holiness is a thing, but holiness, listen to me, holiness is an identity. When you go to Exodus 16 and where holiness comes from, now that identity produces a behaviour, absolutely, for sure. But holiness, he says, I've called you a, uh, uh, basically God says to, to, uh, to the Israelites in Exodus 16, I believe it is. He says that we are, we are His holy people. Well, that was way before the work of Jesus. God was speaking into who they were as people to Him. It's their DNA, it's their identity. They, they are holy. Now, I think purity is an absolute thing that is produced out of the revelation that God has made us holy, Right? But holiness is not the thing that allows us to walk closer with God. <laughs> if I'm more holy, then I'm good. No, you're good before you even tried to walk out holiness. Otherwise, you're back in the law and your righteousness is of works of the law and not of grace. Read, read, read this with me. And... and and when he has come, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, he will convict the world of what? Sin. Who's he convicting? The world of sin. And what else will he convict of? This is a part we don't read. What else will he convict us of? He will convict us of sin, the world of sin, and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin. Now, here are the reasons why. Because, verse number nine, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So, why does he have to convict them of sin? Because sin develops unbelief in our lives. And so, he convicts them of sin in order for their belief to be changed. God's not just out there convicting people because He doesn't like them. <laughs> He's a good God. He's convicting them because He wants them to change into the image of His Son, Jesus. 
Are you with me? So of, of sin, uh, and of, right, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He's not even saying the judgment is for us. Now we will stand before God and have an account absolutely of our lives. But I reckon it's gonna, I reckon what it's gonna mainly be because we're right before God, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? Head back to Romans, right? What I want you to see is that when we stand before God, I reckon it's just gonna be like, I'm not sure you got the revelation of what the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus has actually made available to you. So instead of living for heaven on earth, you kept living for earth on earth because you kept focused on the wrong things, right? So our sins have, uh, we have been imputed righteousness. Does this blessedness come? Verse number nine in Romans chapter four, upon the circumcised only, if you're new to church, don't worry, there's not some weird things going on here. This is, this is just a thing. Or, or upon the uncircumcised also, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How, how then was it accounted while he was circumcised? Because that was the sign of the fact that they were holy and set apart before God, right? And so you gotta remember, God calls Abraham before he was circumcised. And so Paul's using this as an argument to say this is why the Gentiles who are uncircumcised can also be righteous and have righteousness imputed to them instead of judgment. Uh, accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of, those, of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who, to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while circumcised, uncircumcised, sorry. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might uh, be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed God, I want you to focus in on these scriptures now. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being being weak in faith, He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief 
but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offence and raised up because of our justification. I want to focus as we talk about walking out the vision. As I was reading this number of weeks ago, three words stood out. And these words, they all start with C, so that was kind of really good for a preacher. Contrary, I want you to write these down. Contrary, consider, and convinced. Contrary, consider, and convinced. Contrary to, consider not, and fully convinced. Seeing, thinking, living. The stages and the different places that walking out our lives as followers of Jesus take us. Let's start with this idea and this simple verse where it says, Abraham, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. Contrary, contrary. That word hope there is the word elpis. And it simply means looking forward with great expectation. Do not confuse biblical godly hope with secular humanistic optimism. (laughs) The difference is that hope is grounded firstly in the finished work of Jesus. Hope is anchored not in optimism, not in a nice idea, it's, it's anchored in the finished work of Jesus. And secondly, it's anchored in the Word of God itself. And in light of this, believers can have confidence that despite what natural hope looks like, did you hear that? Despite what natural hope looks like, it's all gonna be okay. Just turn to your neighbour and say, it's all gonna be okay. Death is but a doorway to a a new realm, a new place with God. God does miracles, things happen. God resurrects Lazarus from the dead. He can do all those sorts of things. But friend, we are not, we are just aliens on a planet passing through into a new, at some point in time when Jesus returns into a new place, a victorious place, a place where we are gonna partake fully in the finished work of His resurrection. But hope is this looking forward with great expectation. And what the Bible is trying to teach us that one of the stages or one of the things that you're gonna have to grapple with as you're walking out this walk with Jesus is that you are gonna have to, the world is gonna preach to you that it is a hopeless, dire, dying situation and that nothing is possible. And you and I in our faith in it as we mature in the things of God are gonna need to grow into a place where we are living contrary to hope that we are not looking at what the world sees, but we are looking at what God 
is doing. Hope and sight are connected. So hope is this, is this, is this looking forward with expectation. So you're ready? Hope and sight are connected. Hope is like holy, sanctified sight. Hope is like looking through the eyes of Jesus rather than through the eyes of the circumstance. Hope is what you have and what you allow your eyes to be fixed on. You go in the direction, you know, have you ever had a kid where you're trying to teach him to ride a bike or something like that? Got this funny video of my brother trying to teach his kid to ride a bike and she's riding around the oval and it's all good. And she's kind of like, look at me, dad, this is awesome. And he's like, look ahead, look straight ahead, look where, because you, you go in the direction that you're looking. And so if you're not looking at the place that you want to be going, which is a person of Jesus, you're going to find yourself like my poor little niece, we shouldn't laugh, uh, riding effectively and beautifully um, into a football post. Um, and so you go where you're looking. And so hope is important. Paul even says like faith, hope and love. These things are so, these are three things that you've got to just have on your page on all the time, faith, hope and love. And so hope is what you have an eye for and what you look at, you go in the direction of. That's why Hebrews tells us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because when you look at Him, it doesn't matter what the story looks like in between, God is on the throne. He's at the beginning and He's also at the end. He does not exist within the realm of time. We're so bogged down with what's happening down here while God is saying, hey, if you'll just put your hope in me, if you just put your hope in me, I'm gonna carry you through whatever you're going through right now. I'm not saying you get healed, you get the breakthrough, you get the Bentley, you get the bigger house. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching you get Jesus. Someone got it up there. I said, you don't get, you might not get what you think you need, but you will get Jesus. And when you get Jesus, you work out that that is all that you really needed in the first place. Should we believe, don't get me preaching in this place. Should we believe for miracles? 100%. God wants to heal and touch and do a whole lot of stuff. But our goal is Him. Our goal is when we're imprisoned, we can still hope in the world of Jesus. Our goal is not an outcome. Our goal is the person of Jesus. You get me excited. So we must, we must entertain this idea that God, our faith journey walking with Him because we live in a fallen world is going to take us into places that we against hope are going to have to hope. Are you with me today? Can you give me a few more minutes? That against hope, you and I are gonna have to continue to lock into hope. Hope in what? Hope in exactly what the Apostle Paul in his writing is saying that we should hope. He, he, he says this, look at this. So the question is, is what was Abraham looking at? And Paul tells us in the text, he gives us the cheat code. What was Abraham looking at? Read it, it's right there in your Bible. It says in, in, in the, the tail end of verse number 17, it says, God who gives life to the dead 
and calls those things that are not as if they were. So Abraham, when we look at, when we look at God and who He is, what He can do, our hope is not earthly anymore. Our hope is from the presence of God. And when I say the presence of God, I don't want you to think I'm thinking in my head a feeling or when Kelv's on the keyboard. I don't want you to think that. I want you to think that my, my hope goes way deeper than what a keyboard can do providing an atmosphere for me. And I love that, you know that. I'm on the keyboard a lot. My, my hope, my hope, and I love this because you've got to remember Paul and Silas were in a prison and it was pitch black in Acts chapter 16. And what does the Bible tell us that they were doing? They were praying and they were singing psalms and spiritual songs to each other. Calv, were you there? <laughs> Wonder if they had the Roland plugged in. Can you send a power cord down here, mate? <laughs> Julian, turn it up? No. You know, no. They just had what was in them. And that was enough. You want to create heaven on earth, you've got to lean on into the Holy Spirit that is within you. And you can transform a prison into a place that heaven invades. Not by what's outside of you, by who is within you. You can transfer that place of pain and isolation when you continue to hope in Jesus and you fight for what you're looking at into something that gets you closer to Him. So who's he looking at? Abraham is looking at God. Number one, he's looking at this God that could breathe life into dry bones. He's looking at this God, who knows, I'm not sure, someone might know here that's smarter than me, whether this is before or after the story of of. of Paul's preaching so long, a bit like one of Matt Garner's sermons, that a guy falls asleep outside of a window and he dies. But Paul's not done preaching, so don't you go dying in my service, all right. And he raises him back to life again. And maybe he's already seen that, that that's happened. Maybe he saw Peter walk down, uh, walk down a street and his shadow touch a sick person and them get healed. I'm not really sure. But what Paul's trying to encourage us is that Abraham, contrary to hope, in still remaining in heavenly hope, continue to believe in this God that can raise the dead. The door is of, of impossibility is never shut because God is, is able to raise the dead. And so Abraham is looking at a God that can do that, a God that says nothing is impossible with them that believe. When natural circumstances were work, weren't working or were working against them, when they were old and broken and unable to conceive a child, Abraham saw possibility with God. It's like Jim Carrey. You mean there's a chance? <laughs> he also says that they, the, he calls things that are not as if they were. That word call means to name. He names it differently. We name it like it's the end, it's over, it's this, it's that. He gives it a different name. Hope gives what you're going through a different name. And so when you're living 
in this place where the world seems to be against you. Hope demands when you look at Jesus <laughs> that you call it something different to what your flesh and our earthly mindset wants to call it because God is doing something far greater than you and I could ever imagine. That's seeing, that's contrary to, let's quickly move to this next one, consider. Man, I've got so many notes here. I've got the seven spirits of the Lord. I've got a lot of stuff. We're not gonna go there. We might talk a little bit tonight, but anyway. Consider, consider not. This is in our, the realm of our thinking. Consider not. The Bible says just there in verse number 19, and not becoming weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. That word consider or the NIV translates it as this, he facing the facts. In other words, looking at reality, looking at what was going on, looking at what he was experience, experiencing, he was not weakened in faith. That word consider is the word kataneo. And it means to consider, to give careful attention or consideration, to be concerned about and to understand completely. And I really believe, I, I put the preacher hat on for a moment, um, take the teacher hat off for a moment. But I think some of us are spending a lot of time considering a whole lot of things that don't glorify God. I think a lot of us are dwelling, our thinking is locked into considering a whole lot of what's gonna happen in a negative way, rather than considering the might and the power, the ability, the faithfulness, the love, the person that Jesus is. And so sometimes this battle, the greatest battlefield you and I have on the playing field of our thinking, the battlefield of the mind, this, this whole idea that we are allowing thoughts to influence us and to change us and to determine who we're gonna be and how we behave and what we respond and all those sorts of things. And I'm not saying that that journey is an easy one and just a switch that some faith preacher tells you that you should switch and be a better Christian. But I'm telling you, what I'm um, urging you to do is to continue to yield that area to the Holy Spirit. And saying like, if you have, suffer with anxiety, Sometimes people get healed instantly of being anxious and having anxiety and worry and fear and different mental illnesses and we praise God for that. For those of you that God, for whatever reason, like Paul had the thorn in the flesh that he went into three separate extended prayer seasons to remove that thorn of the flesh and God just said, it's good for now. Like my grace is sufficient for you. For those of you that that's your mental health journey or your sickness journey or whatever your journey, I wanna really encourage you still in that moment, in that journey, continue to um, con continue to be uh, yielding your mind, your emotions, your will, your affections, all of who you are to Him. It's in that place of surrender where God can really come in and do something powerful. And so, when He, when the Bible is telling us that uh, He consider not. It's saying he didn't allow his mind or his thinking to dwell on the reality or on the facts forever. He didn't allow them to, uh, to, to, to stay there. And we're giving a lot of time to considering the worst case scenario. 
We need to give a lot more time to focusing on growing. It says, and not being weak in faith. And so Paul is giving us an understanding of what weak faith can look like. Let's just talk real. Weak faith can look like your mind considering the things of the flesh more than it does what God is doing. It says, consider, consider, consider what? His, his body, it's the Greek word soma. And it literally means his physical being. His physical being. That's what it literally means. He didn't consider his soma, his physical being. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, I believe it's verse number 19, where the Bible says that we're it's talking about the, the church uh, growing, maturing in the gifts of the Spirit, edifying the, the body of Christ. It says, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, edifying the body. That word body is the same word, soma. Edifying the, the body of Jesus Christ, edifying the physical being. That's who we are on the earth. Did you know that? That's why I says, you know, we say we're the body of Christ. You are the physical being of Jesus in the world. You're not Jesus, don't get me wrong. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that because you have heaven, you have the Holy Spirit within you. There's something powerful in you. Recognise it for what it is. Yes, we're in this earthly shell. It's decaying, it's dying. Some of us are doing that job better than others. <laughs> but the truth is, until unless the Lord comes soon, that's the unfortunate progression. We die, we, we, the Bible's saying, considering not his own body, his soma. So we must pour our consideration upon the impossibilities. Not, sorry, consideration, not upon the impossibilities, but rather upon God. I also wanna say, Calvin, you can jump up, mate. I wanna say that faith, this is really important. Faith does not deny reality. So faith doesn't say, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not depressed, I'm not this, I'm not that. Like faith, faith, God's secure, okay? He knows what's going on, right? Faith does not close its eyes to reality. It's, it just continues to look for truth over fact. And it's the truth of though, although my body is unable to have a child, the truth of His Word, because He spoke, says that it's possible. And so one of the steps is that I've got to continue to hope and live in hope contrary to hope because the world's gonna hope against your hope. I've also got to have the mental toughness. I've got to invite the Holy Spirit as I continue to yield to Him to really change me and help me to dwell on Him. Romans, whatever things are lovely, pure, all those things, we give our minds to those things. Let's wrap this up with the last one. He was fully convinced or he was convinced fully. Another translation, I think it's the NIV says that he was fully persuaded. I love that. He was fully persuaded. Contrary to, consider not, fully convinced. Contrary to, 
Hope operates in the realm of sight. Consider not operates in the realm of our thinking. And fully convinced operates in the realm of our living. It comes from this Greek word, this Greek root for this phrase is one word, which means to carry out fully with evidence, to live it out, to live it out, to live it out. And sometimes the greatest step of faith you can do is just start living it out. That's a pretty hard thing to do when you haven't adjusted your seeing and your thinking to be in line with Him. In fact, it just becomes doing when you just live it out for the sake of living it out, you know. But He was fully persuaded. I've entered moments of my journey, Alicia and I's journey at times where the Lord's asked us to take some big steps. Steps where we've moved countries. I was telling someone yesterday, it was kind of like father of the year when we moved from New Zealand to be here. When we made the, de- the decision, um, Alicia was four, had four more weeks to go in her pregnancy with Hallie. And um, then we had to wait another four weeks after the baby came to get a passport. It's a little baby. Open your eyes, baby. It's like, good luck. <laughs> We moved, we moved to Melbourne, what, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. Lost count now. Doesn't seem that long. 12 years ago, almost 13. Um, we moved not knowing where we were. We just knew that someone was picking us up from the airport. We didn't have a house, didn't have a job. I wasn't coming for a job. But we didn't need any of those things because we were fully convinced. Fully convinced. We were persuaded. Oh, I've got so much prepared, man, this is bad. Because I've scoured through the Bible this week and I found out that some will never be persuaded. Some will be adversely persuaded. Some will be almost persuaded. There's a whole list of different levels of how people are persuaded. You can't just wake up and go, decide to be fully persuaded. It comes back to this revelation of Jesus. My prayer today is that you would continue on this journey where you are convinced, number one, that the Holy Spirit is with you. Fully persuaded. Come on, can we stand? Let's just spend a moment. Welcome you, Holy Spirit. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Come on, would you just begin to pray? Just fill this room with a, just prayer. Just offer up your life to Him.